Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. I hope you're ready for another review and design discussion. How you doing, Peter? I'm doing awesome, and I am ready to talk about how to eat like the ancient ones with our paleo <laughs> diet. That's right. T- today is the paleo diet episode. We've we've decided to go away from games and do some uh, dietary restrictions and uh, diet plans. No, no, no. We're reviewing the game Paleo by Z-Man Games, uh, recently nominated for w- which prize was it? The Kenner Spiel des Jahres, I believe it is. So it's the like gamer version of Spiel des Jahres. Got it. Got it. Going up against, uh, I think, Arnak. Is Arnak one of them? It is, and there's some other ones, too. Oh, Fantasy Realms, the one that uh, Red Rising is partially based on. Yes. And we're going to talk about uh, something that Paleo does. How much can you enjoy a game that is scenario-based once you learn, quote-unquote, the scenarios and know what's coming? Well, I don't know. You like Arkham Horror still, and that's pretty scenario-based. Well, I I, I mean, yes. We'll, We'll talk about what makes that maybe more successful than some other games. Oh, are we slamming Paleo before we even start? I... I didn't say it was failures. That's putting words in my mouth. <laughs> this is a Spiel des Jahres nominee. Come on now. I can't be, it can't, it can't have no replayability. All right. We'll get to this in the design discussion. That's a little teaser for you guys, even though I don't think Mike feels that way about this game. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to start controversy before we get started. That's uh, a great thing to do. Uh, but we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters before we jump into the rest of the episode. Thank you so much to all of you helping to defray costs. Uh, we're buying lots of new equipment to make our recording, our podcast, our streams even better. Buying games, uh, planning to go to some conventions and stuff. And your financial support helps defray the costs for all of that, putting on this podcast. So we deeply appreciate it. But even if you're not supporting us on Patreon, uh, thanks to everybody who's on our Discord, everyone who has uh, reviewed us on Apple or wherever you're listening. And uh, yeah, just really appreciate all of you. But this week, we want to specifically thank Clay Stoffer, a co-op lover, Trey Johnson, a co-op fan, and Bonnie Mann, a co-op lover. So Clay, Trey, Bonnie, uh, thank you all so much for the support you're giving us. Nice. And yes, I will be, at least my plan is to be going to Origins and PAX Unplugged this year. So yeah, if you want to see us, I think that's where I'm going. Fully vaccinated. My son just got his second vaccination today. My wife's been vaccinated. So I feel more comfortable, not totally comfortable being out in public again. Yeah, I'm getting there too. And I'm at least planning to go to PAX, I think. So I'm excited. I mean, I'm not excited by the idea of a giant convention, but I'm excited by seeing cool games and seeing great people. (laughs) Yes, yes, that'll be awesome. And yeah, speaking of new equipment, I'm I'm at a crossroads, Mike. I don't know what to do. And uh, That sounds serious. I think I know which way I'm going, but... So I did a stream, my first stream the other day for Adventure Tactics. I know this is where we normally talk about what games we played, so I'll talk about that in a little bit. But I tried to use their mod, and it wasn't very good. And so I actually whipped out my copy of Adventure Tactic. I got my webcam, and I, like, hooked it up to, like, my shelves. Of, like, it was really, like, duct tape together situation here. And I did a live play, and a lot of people seemed to like that. So I don't know. Like, I know Steve did a bunch of investing in stuff, like cameras, so he can show the cards and things like that. Because that's, like, if I was going to do it, I'd want to go all in on it. And people seem to like that more than they like tabletop simulator plays. Now, I know there's benefits both ways, but uh, I don't know. Got me thinking at least anyway. 
Oh, man. Yeah, you, you can get into the deep uh, pit that I'm already in. Although, <laughs> you and Steve have it even tougher in a way, because if I want to zoom in on a card, I can just hold the card up to the camera and leave it there for a few seconds and then edit it in nicely uh, when I'm doing the video. Whereas you all need to like have some kind of setup where that's a little bit more easy to achieve. So uh, yeah, I mean, d- do what feels best, man. Although it's going to be tough for us to, z- to design games if both of us are recording videos all the time. <laughs> well, right. And and part of the thing I love about TTS is that I can play games with Terrence halfway across the country, right? And I could play games with you and Jerry on Saturday night because there's no way we could pl- do live recordings with the three of us together. I mean, if I was going to go that far down the rabbit hole, that's that's pretty far. We can do it like a lot of channels do where it's just like a zoomed out picture and you can't see any game element whatsoever. <laughs> right. And that's part of the reason I love TTS. We could have zoomed in on all our faces and all that. All right. For now, I I, I think we've decided it here on the podcast. For now, I'm going to stick to TTS plays with maybe a live play thrown in every once in a while. Nice, man. Well, besides Adventure Tactics uh, for the stream, what else have you been playing recently? Well, let me talk about Adventure Tactics a little bit because it is on Kickstarter right now. And let me tell you, I'm all in. I'm doing it. I'm getting the big box. I'm getting all the miniatures for all the stuff. Like I'm, I'm all the way all in. That game is still a top game for me, even after playing it several, several more times. I just have so much fun. And it's one of those games. And I see why people get into games like Mice and Mystics, which I've complained about in the past, where it's like, yeah, there's all these like little rules problems here and there. But like once you get past them and once you figure out what you're going to do, then the gameplay is fine, right? It's these rules that you've got to figure out yourself at the beginning. But after you jump over that barrier, the gameplay, if the gameplay shines through that, then it's something you're going to come back to. And I think I've gotten there with Adventure Tactics now, where it was funny because on my stream, I did complain a little bit about like this adjacency thing. I'm like, I don't know if diagonal is adjacent or not, whatever. And uh, somebody did point out to me that that isn't the rule. So (laughs) it's funny with games like that sometimes where there's these little misprints and whatever, where you just assume no rules in there and that like, I look for it. It's not there. It must not be there. And then you find out you're wrong sometimes. So there, there was that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm super glad that you're enjoying it. I, I didn't enjoy it as much as you, which is why the copy that might have been mine is now yours. <laughs> so thank you for it, because I love it. No, man, I just, I mean, I, I've been given, I, I'm barely selling games these days, even though I still call a ton. I'm just giving them away to people or selling them for like $3 plus shipping or something, because I, I want people who are going to have more time to enjoy them than I do to have them, you know, with me covering I've covered, I was counting because I'm doing a, a, like a top 10 video soon. And I was, I think I've done, I think I've covered in some way, shape or form, like 70 games in just the first half of this year. Yeah, that's crazy. That's in six months. It's tough for me to give all the games I own their full love. So I'd much rather than be in somebody's house where they can like fully enjoy them. So soon your shelf life is going to be like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> like all of them gone. Get out. I got 70 more games coming in. <laughs> That's the problem recently. Uh, I, I, yeah, like the reason I've been doing like a big call recently is because I'm just running out of shelf space because I'm keeping so many games. Like I've had a lot of shelf li- life episodes where I'm like, I, I kept like six games, you know, and, and look at some coming up. I'm keeping like most of the games in some of these episodes, which never happens because I played at least for my taste some really good stuff and it's hard for me to let go of any of it, you know? Well, what are the best ones you've played recently? I mean, right now I'm kind of in, for, for those listening, uh, the <laughs> Yes, Kickstarters happen every week, but for whatever reason, the ones that we get asked to cover kind of come in fits and spurts. So I've done like no Kickstarters or barely any Kickstarters besides, I guess, like Hoplomachus for like a couple months almost, it feels like. And now I have six Kickstarters at once. <laughs> so, oh, wow. 
Some of the ones that I'm really impressed by, uh, Company of Heroes. I think it's solo and co-op with the expansion. I definitely played the solo, and it's great. That's one that uh, is delivering now, but has a like 1.5 Kickstarter coming, and I'm really enjoying that. Like kind of a streamlined war game with really nice uh, miniatures and stuff. And then uh, Wild Ascent. That's another Kickstarter that's delivering, and uh, or I think it already delivered, and has a 1.5 Kickstarter coming. That one is another like one of those like hunting boss battler ones. I haven't played it yet, but it looks really cool and tons of miniatures. And then uh, on my table right now is Perdition's Mouth, which is a game I did not love, but they they made an adventure card game, like same basic themes, some similar mechanics. But so far, I'm liking it a lot. Like uh, it takes some of the stuff I didn't like in the big like miniature Perdition's Mouth board game, streamlines it, gives these really interesting resource choices. So that one's uh, pretty cool. But in terms of like actual games that are available, you know what I've been playing the most? What's that? <laughs> Warp's Edge as a coach while my son plays, my oldest, eight-year-old son. Yeah, I've been coaching him through solo games to try to get him, uh, first of all, to just have something he can like spend his time with when he's bored instead of video games and TV. And also just to kind of like help ignite more of the passion for the hobby. In it. And he is loving Warp's Edge. Uh, we just played it today. And uh, today we actually switched off. So it's kind of like, de facto co-op where i would play a turn and then he would play a turn and i would try not to give him advice during his turn I mean, it was cool we, we we kicked the boss's butt we used one of the best ships and he was like so happy with how powerful we got <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. it was great man yeah that's awesome i mean it's good to share your passion with your kids and honestly i mean i don't want to get into final thoughts but nick and i have been playing a lot of paleo lately so that's been one that's hit the table over and over i've also played a lot of bullet gosh just having that physical copy of the game, you're right. Uh, those chips are so nice. Just everything is so cool about playing that in real life. Don't get me wrong. I don't mind it on TTS, but in real life, it feels real good. And actually, I did do TTS play recently as well, where the level 99 people are on there kind of coaching me through and answering a bunch of questions I had about, you know, there aren't a lot of questions in that game, but there were definitely some for specific heroines uh, that I had questions about, and they happily answered them right there live on the stream. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's another great recent game. I think I think the first expansion is shipping soon-ish. Or maybe not shipping, but at least like on the boat. I forget what they said. Yeah, I mean, and it shouldn't be hard to come out with those expansions because they're just cards and player boards, which are like card thickness. So it's not like you're adding more chips. That's like really where the big ad would be. Now, I did hear that the next expansion, I think, is going to be a standalone, which means you're going to get all the chips over again, I think. Yeah, I figure this over time I'll collect like giant piles of cardboard chips that I'll never use. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the game we're going to talk about tonight, Paleo. So, Peter, you want to give uh, the theme of this one? Well, I've just been dieting. I don't know what's going on. I've been eating nuts, berries. Um, I've been eating is, is that, lots I, of meat. I honestly protein. don't even know what the Paleo diet is. Like, what, what is the Paleo diet? <laughs> That's basically what it is. You eat anything that is basically can be grown. I think. Or like animals, nuts, seeds, but nothing well, but processed. I assume, like I assume like grown, like grown, like agriculturally, or like grown, like just like berries and nuts and things. You know, I've never done the paleo diet, so I don't know. I'm talking a little out of the side of my mouth now, but thanks for calling me out on it, Mike. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're the one making the joke. I figured you had some expertise, but tell us about the game paleo. Oh, so yes, a new day dawns in the Stone Age is basically what it is. And you have different challenges as a tribe. So you're a tribe of people that are basically trying to overcome whatever the challenge of the day is. And as you can imagine, life in the Stone Age wasn't so easy for those people. Yeah, lots of wolves trying to eat you and disease and starvation. Lots of uh, fun things to confront in that one. 
Yeah, so why don't you get a little bit in the mechanics before we get into our review? Sure, and I'll try to keep it short because I know at least my review kind of goes through a lot of them. But this is a solo or cooperative uh, survival game, like Peter already said. And uh, basically, you're trying to get five victory points. And you combine two encounter kind of like scenario decks together. They have a bunch of suggested combinations, but then you can do it however you like. And that will kind of uh, determine the obstacles you have to face and also give you like the cards that are in those encounter decks that can allow you to gain your five victory points and win. You're going through the day. You divide the entire deck of encounter cards between all the players and you basically see three at a time and each player picks one just seeing the back of the card, which gives some hints of what will happen. They flip them over and then players can try to confront the things on their card based on like what skills and items they have in their tribe. They can choose to help each other sometimes cooperatively. So like we can fight a woolly mammoth together or whatever. And they're gaining these secret cards that let them maybe do cool things within the scenario. They're getting food to survive because at the end of each night, once you've gone through the entire deck, you need to uh, feed your people, uh, you know, and fighting off monsters and things. Well, not monsters, (laughs) animals that are attacking you. So that's the basic idea. You're, you're going through these cards. You're using these icons to overcome them, helping each other out. Try not to have your tribe members all die. Try not to get these skulls, which you get whenever somebody dies or whenever you uh, fail to match up to a requirement at night. You get these skulls. You need to get the five victory points before you get the five skulls. That's the basic idea. Yeah, and if you want to see us play it, we actually play it both on the main One Stop Co-op Shop YouTube channel as well as One Stop Co-op Shop streamed YouTube channel where we do a multiplayer play. I think it's you, me, and Jerry on that one. Yeah, that's right. That was, that was a good one. Yeah, so, so lots of paleo to go around here. All right. So uh, if you haven't listened to our reviews before, welcome. We go through the top five things we think you need to know about the game. And uh, some of these could be great things or negative things. But uh, five of them from number five, the least important, but still pretty important, to our number one. So, Peter, you want to talk about your number five? Sure. My number five is the back of the cards. You shuffle this deck of cards and then you deal them out but you can only see the back of the top three cards. So it kind of gives you an idea of what might be coming up, some options available to you, but you don't know exactly what's on the other side. And I'm going to talk about the other side a little bit later, but I think it's neat that they give you a little bit of a hint and a little bit of a choice there. And and that's kind of the major choice of the turn is where do I want to go? You don't know what's going to happen when you flip it over, but at least you have a little bit of an idea. Oh, I need stone. I should probably go to the mountains. That's probably a good place to find stone. Now, when you go there, you might not find what you're looking for, but at least it gives you an idea of what you might get. And some of them later on, based on the scenarios, even change the backs. They could be backs you've never seen before, or it could be backs that show you the mountains, but kind of give you a hint that something might be hiding there in the mountains for you. So I just think that's kind of neat. I hadn't seen that before where you get partial information and everybody gets that partial information, right? You can kind of see what you're in for, but you don't know exactly what you're in for. I guess Robinson Crusoe does it a little bit because you can have those cards that come back later on and you see which ones are cards that have come back. But I think this gives you even more information. So I like the limited information it gives you while still giving you an option and giving you some choices because otherwise you're basically just going to pick the next card every time. So I I think it's neat how they did that. Yep. And I have uh, more to say about that, but fully agree. My number five is focused on the cooperative play, which I guess wouldn't matter if you're playing it solo. But uh, I think mostly the co-op works really well here. It's pretty much a simultaneous game. You're all choosing your cards at the same time. You can resolve your actions at the same time. And we tend to really enjoy simultaneous games. Keeps the game very snappy and quick. 
there's a lot of nice uh, conversation that can happen about like, what are you going to choose? What am I going to choose? If one person's choosing a card back that looks more dangerous, it sometimes makes sense for like the other players to pick a safer thing so that they are more likely to be able to assist them and help them out. So I think all of that uh, works out really well. The potentially negative side of things is kind of two negatives. First of all, if your group has problems with alpha player, even though there is not a ton of information on the back of the cards, I think you could still have people kind of trying to boss each other around and saying, hey, you have to support me or we can't survive this. And that's the other side of things. And I know we've talked about this a bit, Peter. You can sometimes feel like you are not doing your action. You know, if you don't get into the cooperative nature where like, I don't do my card, I'm just going to give you my uh, spears to help you complete your card. If you kind of aren't on board with that, then it might feel like when you assist somebody else in co-op that you're kind of like not taking your own turn. Now, turns take like 10 seconds, (laughs) so it's not necessarily a big deal, but it's just, I think, something to be aware of. Well, and it's interesting, and we'll get more into this, I think, in the final discussion, but when I first played, it was more of a problem than later playing, because honestly, it's not like we're doing, yes, we're doing my card or your card, but we're doing the action together. So we all get the benefits and we all get the penalties. You know, if we're doing your card, I can still take the damage. You know, the only difference is we're going through your deck faster because a lot of times it tells you to discard the top cards of your deck. And if any of them have red backs, then you take damage because of that. But all that means when I'm assisting you is that we're doing the card together. So at first when I played, I definitely felt disjointed, like I wasn't doing a lot of actions. But then I realized I'm actually in on that action with you. I can get all the same rewards. We decide how we divide the rewards and stuff like that. So once that part clicked for me, I felt a lot better about that. But yes, at first, and and that's the problem, right? Because people don't play games a 100 times. At first, I think you can feel disjointed, like, wait a minute, we never do any of my stuff. But it doesn't really matter who the card's in front of at the end of the day. Yeah, well, I'm glad you came to that conclusion because I, I, I enjoyed the game pretty consistently, but I know at first I was like, oh man, I'm not sure if Peter likes this. <laughs> and I didn't at first, in all honesty. Um, we'll, we'll see how, how far I swung back the other way. But uh, yeah, no, at first I was frustrated because I was like, well, we never do my stuff. Why am I always doing your stuff? But then I realized it's not my stuff or your stuff. It's which of these actions, like, it's almost like you're selecting a micro action yourself. Like, I'm going to pick to go to the woods. That's your like micro internal decision, but then it's a group cooperative decision. Okay, of these three cards at the table, how do we want to divide our resources between, you know, the three players or whatever to overcome those challenges? So yeah, that's that's a really good way to think of it. I like that. But all right, uh, Peter, what's your number four? My number four is none of that. It is cool Easter eggs. And what do I mean by that? When you do stuff in the game, it has long lasting consequences. And not only that, but there's like stuff you see And it's kind of the first time you see it, especially it's like, oh, wow, that's really neat. And it comes into play more with the missions as well. But I'm not even going to talk about that. For example, though, like Mike said, you're being attacked by wolves and stuff like this all the time. Well, when I do that action to kill a wolf, I get meat. I kill the wolf and I discard that card. That wolf is no longer in the game. So I'm now making the game easier for myself. Yes, that's one consequence of that. But the other thing is, when you think about what actions you're doing, the cards do a really good job of making you feel like you're doing that action. And I know it's silly because it's like, all right, I need attacking to do this, or I need observation. Like if I'm going into a cave or something, I'll probably need observation so I can see something, or maybe I just walk right by it. So it really uses the three skills and and the cards themselves. It's not overt always. And it's not 
the most obvious thing in the world, but there are consequences to your actions. And I really like how they do that. And one of my favorite cards in the game is the Dodo, because whenever I kill him and I discard him to the discard pile, I'm like, oh, I think we just made the Dodos extinct. (laughs) (laughs) And so that always makes me laugh when I see the Dodo. Then I realize there's two of them in the deck. So maybe not. Maybe you didn't extinct them, but uh, maybe if you kill both of them, that's the end of the Dodos. Well, I I think if there's only one Dodo left, they're probably still in pretty big trouble. (laughs) Oh, you're telling me I killed one of the mated pairs? Now I feel even worse. Oh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, my, my number four is related to that quite a bit. Um, it's the day-night structure. So, like I said, you go through the, the entire deck of cards between the players each day. And then you have to, like, fulfill these obligations at night or you get these skulls and you have to feed your people. So, you know, I, th- I think that works as, like, kind of a general uh, flow of the game. Because you have to kind of contrast your pursuit of the victory points, which don't always relate to how you survive, and just getting the stuff you need to survive. But the thing that I love most, and I think it goes a bit to the point you just made, Peter, beyond just the thematic integration of the cards, this feeling of the day-night cycle and going through the same decks over and over, but removing cards from them, I found really increased kind of like the thematic environmental feeling we were in. Like... If we ate all the food in our immediate area, then there was no food, you know, and like there's cards where you can choose to like chop down this tree entirely or just take a few berries from it. You get more of a reward, but now that tree is gone forever. So the idea that you are both like mastering your environment in the survival setting, but also that your choices have like long term consequences. And Peter mentioned Robinson Crusoe. I think the way they did events in that one is amazing. You know, I think it's a genius mechanic to like, you see a tiger and then, you know, a while later, the tiger will show up and attack your town. Uh, But I think it's even better here because it's more persistent. Like cards are literally gone from the deck or these negative cards you haven't dealt with will attack you again and again and again. And yeah, for me, it really felt like in addition to the day night structure being interesting kind of choice wise, it had this like living, breathing world I was contributing to, you know. Well, and not only that, but not only in an individual game, yes, which is true, but from game to game, too, you start to get to know the cards. Like I said, I mentioned the Dodo. You you know, you realize there's some berry cards or whatever else. Oh, if I go to the woods, this is more likely to happen. You don't know that your first play, which is almost why I feel like you just throw it on the table and play it the first time and don't overthink it. You get to learn these things. It's like, oh, yeah, where was that thing again? And it gives you a, a few hints on the board like, oh, if you go to the woods, you're most likely to get wood or food, right? If you go to the river, you're most likely to get food and something else. I can't remember. And of course, you go to the mountains, you're more likely to get stone. So it's kind of cool that they lean you in the right direction, but you do learn more and more about this living, breathing world the more you're in it. Because, you know, there's a pretty thick stack of cards. Yes, the modules change up the game immensely, but there's also a thick stack of cards which you're going to go through every game, which are going to be the same. All right, Peter, how about your number three? So my number three is Luck of the Draw. You know, it's a game because there's, well, there is dice, but not for every module, like, but there is some luck still in the game, even without having dice. So as Mike said earlier, if you know, you could get really bad events, and nobody can help you at the table because everybody else got a bad event too. It's like, oh, why don't you help me get some stone here? I don't have what I need to get it. But you have all the stuff, but I'm the one with the stone card, right? So I know I'm probably going to need your help on this, but you may have no card showing that will be able to help me. Now, there are ways to work your way around it and things, but especially as you get deeper and deeper into the missions, some of them will need very, very specific things that maybe you'll have two of them in a row. 
And usually when you do an event card in front of you, you have to discard two or three. So maybe it comes to a situation where you have to discard something else you need to get one of the other things you need. And so that's going to extend the you know amount of times you have to go through the deck. The other thing is at the beginning of the game, you start with almost nothing. You start with two people in your tribe, but you don't have a lot of skills. A lot of times you can't do a lot of fighting, hunting, things like that. You certainly go get stone, go get wood, but if all the resource cards are in the back of the deck and all the fighting events are at the front of the deck, you know, that, that that's going to make a very different experience where you typically want to do all your fighting near the end when you've built up to be able to do it. So there is definitely luck, not only in the draw, but like just what cards come out. But I think it's it's a pro and a con, right? It varies gameplay from game to game. So you're never going to get the same experience. Also, when you go through the deck, you know, it might sound boring that I say, well, you get to know this world because the cards are the same. They are, but they're not, right? Because a lot of cards you're discarding face down without ever even looking at them. So you might not even see a card till your second or third game through. And you're like, oh, that must be part of this modular encounter. No, that was part of the main cards. I just had never seen it before. So there is still exciting new stuff that comes up even in later plays. But it's interesting the way the luck is done. And a lot of times you might be counting on somebody like, oh, we haven't found stone old game. Oh, finally, we found a mountain. Let's go there. You play a card that can assist me. And then you run into a hazard and can't assist me. And then we can't get that stone. And so we've lost that opportunity. So there's a little bit of push your luck. There's a little bit of excitement. But I think a lot of times when you get that draw that changes things up, it's more toward the negative a lot of times. So it's like, oh man, I thought we were going to do this and we can't. Sometimes you do flip and exciting good stuff happens, but more times it's toward the negative side. So it's, I mean, for me overall, it's a positive because you need variability in cooperative games, but it is there. Yeah, and that's uh, again, somewhat related to my number three, which is the potential for the difficulty to snowball either way. So you kind of talked about the difficult side of things. Like sometimes you just get hit with a ton of stuff early on when you're really weak and the game just kind of like wipes. I mean, I've never had a game where I just immediately lost and it was like (laughs) shuffle and set it up again, but you can certainly get like a very, very tough situation early on. I had four skulls my first time through once. Oh, wow. Really? That was pretty rough. Yeah. That's that's worse than I've ever seen. (laughs) Um, But the other side of this, that's a potential complaint is the game. and, And this is also a positive, by the way. The game gives you a lot of great ways to grow strong. Like you can build lots of tools, get like lots of helpers, find new people to join your tribe, unlock cool secrets to the point where like you're just rocking everything and you feel amazing. Like even the toughest enemies who used to terrify you, you are now like the lord of your like land, you know, and can do whatever you want. But sometimes that happens in some of my plays that's happened too early and kind of winning the scenarios became a like uh, a foregone conclusion. Now, of course, that's mostly on the intro scenarios where the difficulty is easier. Uh, usually they have a pretty good challenge after that. But I, I think it's just good to be aware that as cool as it is to upgrade and like kind of empower your civilization, sometimes it can be too tough at the beginning and sometimes it can be too easy at the end. Yeah, and there are ways to vary difficulty as well. So even if you are playing those intro scenarios, although I assume if you're playing the intro scenarios, again, it's because you're teaching somebody the game. So you probably don't want to throw all the tougher variants in there. But there is a way to play some of those easier modular sets with increased difficulty. So that way, if you do like what the modular is doing, you can increase the difficulty. And on the other end, you could do it the other way. So I love the fact that they have a lot of difficulty variants in there as well. Yeah, like I, I think that uh, the thematic one where you don't get to use resources that somebody else got until they bring them back to camp, like that just makes sense and is really cool. 
Yeah, I didn't even read that one. That is pretty cool. I I, I like that thematically. I'd probably hate it gameplay wise. <laughs> it's, it's really rough. If like all the wood, you're like, I was gonna build a torch. Where are you? <laughs> right, exactly. Where are you with that wood? Although, again, that is pretty neat. Yeah, I, I I think of all the ways to make the game more difficult, I think that would be a fun one. Yeah, I mean that, that's my favorite one. Uh, but anyway, uh, you're number two, Peter. So my number two is, and, and we've kind of touched on this a lot, but I'm gonna kind of get back to it and just say. Like Robinson Crusoe, like we explained before, I like the fact that you either have to deal with the cards now or later. A lot of times, I will not deal with my red cards at all. I will just take them as damage. So when it tells you to discard two cards, if they have red backs, you're going to take damage from them. We've talked about that. But like, you can also encounter that red card. Usually it's a hazard and something you have to overcome. But sometimes you may even be able to discard that and not deal with it your second time through the deck. And I like that option. And I also like, so if you do all the good things early, you're not going to have good stuff in your deck the next time you go through. So it'll be a lot harder the second time you go through. So I like the way the game changes. You would think, oh my gosh, we're just going to shuffle up and do these again. But no, it really changes because a lot of cards get discarded from game to game or from round to round rather. And so I like the way that changes the environment and the way it feels dynamic. So for me, a mechanic that just stands out in my mind as something that's really neat. And again, I think Robinson was the first one to do it, but I agree with you. I think it's done better here. Yeah, my number two, this is stuff you've already talked about, but it's just specifically like the little clues on the back of the cards. I'll just add on that I like how quick the choice is. Like, even though it's a kind of pretty interesting choice, you only have three cards to consider. You can see them all just the back. You're like, ah, river, let's go. And also, I think the theme is great, and and not just on the back of the cards, but on the front. Like, there, I don't think there's a single card I've ever played where I didn't get exactly what they were going for. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, if sure. I have enough tools, I can cut this tree down and I gain this wood, but I lose this. Like, I think everything really makes sense if you want to kind of like, I don't know, <laughs> tell a little story or imagine what your characters are doing. So yeah, it's a nice uh, tent system. And also the surprise of the terrible stuff that comes up. Like, oh, you're in the mountains and rocks fall on your head. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, it's just good in general. But we've talked enough about that. Let's go to your number one. Well, uh, just one more point on that too. I do like how scenario-based systems, they'll give you hints to what you need to get. Right. So in some things, it's like, man, you got to find this bear and kill it. Or in, you know, one of the earlier ones, you got to kill a certain number of wolves. Well, I like how Not on every wolf card, but on a lot of them, they'll have pictures of wolves on the back. So it's like, hey, this is something you need to do to complete the mission. And a lot of times they'll show you a picture. Like I'm thinking of one of them where like you have to kill this bear. It's one of the earlier scenarios. I think it's like the third suggested one in. You got to kill this bear. Well, you know that because there's a picture of bear on like your objective card. And then one of the cards has a picture of a bear on the back of it. I like the fact that you don't have to go like, attack every red card trying to find this bear. I like the fact that they hint you in the right direction with the back of those cards. So I think they do some neat things there. Yeah, no, absolutely. One of the most interesting ones for me was the uh, the snow scenario because they just add in a ton of cards with just snow on the back and you have no idea what they have, nope. which I mean, makes total sense, right? You're just like wandering around in a blizzard. I guess you're just going to find what you're going to find. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I've talked a lot uh, at a turn here. Why don't you go ahead and do your number one first? Okay. I feel like they're going to be similar. Yeah, I, I guess they are too, because we haven't talked about them. And you said you would talk about it later. But uh, for me, it's the scenario uh, combination system. 
So I mentioned it earlier, but you've got all these modular decks and they give like suggested combos, but you can go buy them wherever you want. So you've got like the wolf attack deck. You've got the we need a lot of food deck. You've got the disease deck. You've got the river deck. You've got the ice deck. And each of them is really interesting, but the kind of things that emerge as you combine them once you kind of know the game in your own ways, and they've got like this boss deck you can add on to any other combination of decks. I just really like it. It has the benefits of like the exploration that I always enjoy and the sense of discovery. Like you said, Peter, it has a little bit of like that learning the game. Uh, and that could be a negative. Like maybe you'll feel like, oh, I don't want to play anymore because I already see what all these decks have to offer. But I think the randomization is enough. And this is getting into our design discussion. <laughs> I think the randomization is enough that they can still be fun. But yeah, when, when you combine them in different ways, kind of things feel different. Like the most basic scenario is just trying to kill a bunch of woolly mammoths for food simple as anything, but if suddenly all those woolly mammoths are across a river and you need to build a raft before you can even see them, or if all your people are dying of disease the whole time you're trying to get that food, it can really change up the feeling of it. So for someone like me who likes a sense of discovery and likes kind of modularity, letting me uh, see new things each time I play, I think uh, the system is great, has tons of replay, and I feel like I heard they're doing an expansion, which is going to address the... (laughs) One of the controversies with this game is that like every Paleolithic person looks like they're a white person, like their skin is lighter than, you know, maybe it should have been. So I think they're addressing that and at the same time doing an expansion that's going to have even more modular sets. And that's something that I love about this because I can take the base game modular sets if they do do an expansion with, you know, I don't even just like four or five more sets. The variations increase drastically. I don't know if you would agree with this, Peter, but I think the way that this does modularity is along the lines of Cthulhu Death May Die where you just put all the stuff into one deck together and there's interesting things in how they play out together. Yes. Uh, as opposed to something like, you know, Street Masters where like you have all these very complicated effects you got to track from turn to turn in like the intersecting kind of different decks you have in play. So yeah, that, that that's for me. What do you think about it? Was that your number one? It is. It's the variable encounter sets is what I put. And uh, the only other thing I had to add to that was it's a puzzle that for me usually took two tries to get through an encounter. Because the first time I was kind of learning what I needed to do, learning what was in that environment. And then the second time I'd go through and kind of know what I was doing and just seeing if I could beat it at that point. But I think there are two ways to handle that. I think if you don't want to be surprised and you want to like, okay, how do I beat this encounter? You could certainly look through the cards ahead of time and like, okay, I know that the dodo birds are in the woods and I got to kill dodo birds for this mission or whatever. Or you could be that discovery person. I'm going to go through and look for dodo birds. I don't know where they are. So I think there are two different ways to handle it. But for me, I thought it was interesting how you would learn an environment, as you were saying earlier, and then you could kind of go back through it with all that knowledge and do better. And some of the stuff you'll know just from playing the game. And I think you get better at like, almost like an escape room game. You like get better at their systems. The more in you get, you're like, oh, okay, I get what they're going for here. So uh, I I think it is neat. And I think it's neat that different players can play through it kind of how they want to do it. And the one thing I love is, uh, as you said, there's a lot of different variable encounter sets and some are easier and some are harder. And they tell you in the rule book. Yes, they do. Every publisher tell people in the rule book what's easy and hard so they know how to play your game. I hate it. You know me. I hate it. And one of my favorite games of all time, Marvel Champions, does not tell you Galaxy's Most Wanted is going to kick you so hard compared to every other game mode in that. They don't tell you that. Why? Why, publishers? Why do you refuse to tell people how hard your stuff is? Either you don't know yourself 
I don't know why you would withhold that information. Then people could have a really bad experience the first time they played your game. I think that's one of the reasons Street Masters never click with me. I played a really hard scenario my first time. I got my butt wiped and I just couldn't get over that, right? I mean, everybody's got that in them. Like, what's your first experience with something? Why wouldn't you tell people that? I think you can get away with like, here are the two tutorial ones. We won't tell you for the rest. Even that I'm okay with, but you got to give players a starting point is certainly, uh, I think the best way to go about. Uh, But all right, uh, let me get into my final thoughts. I guess I'll go first because my video review has been out for a while. So people know how I feel about this one. Uh, Yeah. Pipaleo is one of my top games of the year, like bar none. It's right up there with uh, probably like bullet would probably be my top two games of this year that we've covered. I love it. I think the variety is great. I'm able to play it with my son without too much trouble. I'm able to play it with gamers and still have a really good time. I think the solo, official solo is not my favorite, but playing two-handed solo works really well. And yeah, I, I would love to buy more Paleo content. Like, this is a game that I think will stay around for a long time for me, especially if more stuff comes out to even increase those combinations more. And I, I just think it's great. How about you, Peter? So this is your adventure tactics. You're going all in on the next uh, Kickstarter or whatever they do. Huh? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they do a Kickstarter, but it'll probably be like a $30 mini expansion. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'll buy whatever they make. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it myself as well. I know at first I was definitely negative on it. And honestly, it, it, we just talked about it earlier. Like it, it was hard for me to get it back to the table again after having a negative first experience. And maybe I just didn't get it. So my first experience, you guys can watch it. It's on the YouTube stream channel. That was <laughs> the first time I ever played it. And I just felt like I wasn't doing anything. Part of it was that you and Jerry had played it before and I never had. So I was kind of learning along with the audience. And I was just like, why don't I ever get to do anything on my own? So I got frustrated with that. And then when I got it live, it it took me a while to get it to the table in all honesty. But now that I have, I can't get it off the table. I, I just keep playing it over and over. So it's that and adventure tactics. I've been sharing my table. I'm like switching back and forth between them lately. So I've really enjoyed playing it. It's one of my son's favorite games. He loves the theme. I think it's easier to get, especially kids, into it. Now, he's a teenager now, but he's always been into, and don't get me wrong, there's no dinosaurs in it, but dinosaurs in that you know prehistoric age. So he really likes the theme on this one. The artwork's great. It's very family friendly, even though you're like killing animals and stuff. Some people, I guess, would have a problem with that. But, you know, for the theme of it, it's, you know, very family friendly. And because the decisions aren't that hard and the kind of card tells you what to do, I think it is pretty family friendly and pretty easy to get into. Yeah, I I know when I first played with my son, uh, he got the card where you can recruit a wolf to be like your little like wolf cub buddy (laughs) and help you out for the rest of the game. And the second that happened, he was like, Daddy, this game is great. (laughs) Yeah, So so there you go. Everyone just engineer it when you're playing with your child so that they get a wolf early on and they'll be happy probably. Well, if they are brave enough to flip over one of those cards, right? Like sometimes those are scary, man. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but no, it, it is uh, fun. I think it's a high recommend for both of us. I mean, I've got three of them up there. And obviously, and honestly, two of them are Spiel des Jahres nominees with Micro Macro City. This one, I agree with you. Bullet's going to be up there for me. Adventure Tactics, I can't remember if that was last year or this year, but that one's up there. So Gosh, 2021 has been a pretty good year so far. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I'm literally working on a list of the best games just of 2021 so far. And you just named uh, a lot of the best ones. But yeah, there's some good stuff this year, man. Yeah, I mean, it's so good. I'll, I'll tell you how good it is for me. I have not gotten to the latest Unlock set yet. And Unlock is one of my favorite games of all time. I just haven't had a need to pull it off the table because I've always had something good and fun that I've wanted to play. So that that speaks a lot right there. 
Well, I think that's actually a good transition to our design discussion. So a lot of games, I would say even maybe more games these days than in the past, are based somewhat on discovery and like kind of narrative surprises and things. We mentioned a few already, Paleo, like you flip over the cards and you get to know what kind of stuff is in the scenario and maybe how to beat it. Peter had early mentioned Arkham Horror LCG, where scenarios are very much a like closed book. You're not sure what's going to happen until you start seeing the event cards and all that kind of stuff. So yes, some games really like to kind of give you that surprising narrative, but that has the potential negative of making the replay terrible. If you play that scenario again, why should I play it? I know all the answers. I know how to beat it. I know what's going to happen. So what do you think, Peter? Uh, Why is it maybe, I guess first question we can talk about is why is it good to do that? Like, why do we want these kind of narrative experiences in our games? I'll tell you the solution right now so you don't have to listen to the rest of the design discussion. Design for players who have poor memories like me, because I can replay these missions no problem <laughs> and not have any idea what happened, especially if you put enough content in there. Like I've, I'm one of the only people I think in this universe that's replayed unlock scenarios. I have no problem going back and playing and you want to talk about something that's similar. There's not even variants there, right? There's no random elements to it. It's literally just solving the same puzzles you've already solved before. And I can go back and do that. So I think the real solution is get players like me who have very bad time, you know, with their long-term memory. No problem. These games are great for us. Well, and I I think uh, even in the non-memory aspect, I think you're right. Like I could probably go back and play the original three unlocks and I would, I would start to remember things, but I don't have any memory of the solutions currently. So I guess if you, (laughs) if your game does well enough or people just wait long enough, then the replay will come back. But Minus that, why have discovery in narrative? Why why is that good? Why like why is it good for you, Peter? I think I've made it clear in many reviews that I love discovering things and like finding out what's in the deck. W- when is it fun for you and when is it frustrating? Well, I think it's fun for me and the reason they do it is because it's exciting. I think it's the same reason Legacy became popular is I don't know what's around the corner. Oh, that is so cool. The first time, like I said, and not even the first time. I I still talk about the Dodo in this game because it excites me. Every time I see a Dodo, I'm like, oh, it's a Dodo. Oh, wait, I just killed it. Wait, what's going on? You know, I can tell that same joke over and over. It almost becomes a family joke at the table. It's like, oh, no, that poor Dodo. What are we doing? So (laughs) for me, it's exciting. And I think if done right, it also leads to better narrative and more coherent narrative. So the reason you want something that's not as replayable, something like an unlock is it tells a really good story and a coherent story and one that you and I are going to have the same story. For example, I just watched Loki today. And if you watched it, you and I can have a discussion about what happened in Loki right? And we have the same shared experience. One of the benefits of the unlock games, the reason they're so cool in my mind is there is a story, a coherent story there that you and I can share. The problem with something in my mind, like Gloomhaven, which has so much replayability, so so it can go too far, right? It's got so much stuff there that none of it sticks out and none of it is as memorable to me. But if I've played Pandemic Legacy Season 1, I can talk about specific moments with people and we're all going to have that shared narrative, that shared experience. So I think that for me is the biggest pro. Well, and I'll, I'll flip what you just said a little bit because I think at the scenario level, which is what I'm mainly thinking of, like Paleo, you can kind of learn that scenario. One of my biggest issues with Gloomhaven, even though I'm really enjoying our Jaws of the Lion campaign we're playing on the stream channel, one of my biggest issues with it is that my interest in replaying a scenario when we lose it is 
like less than zero because what is there new to discover there? Like it might as well be an unlock game. You know what I mean? Like, yes, the enemies might draw different activation cards, but my character is not changing and <laughs> the options available to me are changing. I might play them differently. And like all the enemies are in the same exact spot, the exact same enemies, you know, somewhat reacting differently and the exact same like solutions and things. So yeah, for me, Gloomhaven feels basically like an unlock. Like once I played a scenario, I've seen all there is to see. And if we lost it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what if unlock you were like, two questions away from winning and they were like er, time is up you must stop you know that would be very frustrating for me i'm glad that all those escape room games are like yeah whatever just keep playing and your score will be lower we don't care <laughs> you know what i mean right well i told you mansions of madness that did happen to me right we had played through a whole scenario and then it's like all right we're gonna get them on the next turn or two and then like literally time ran out and it's like wait what <laughs> and then, like how deflating that was because it's just like we just played for three hours and it just pulled the rug out right from under us and that did not feel good at all well and uh, another example is uh time stories the old version i like the way the new version does it better where they used to like have the time looping but you would just like have frustrating things where you would miss a roll even though you were doing all the correct stuff because you already knew the path you had to take and you'd have to like play the loop again like that's not fun <laughs> you know Right. So, I mean, I do think there's a lot of pros to it, though, and I think we've covered it. And so I I think the narrative, for me at least, is the biggest one. How about you? Did you have something else that stuck out specifically that, you know, is a good reason to do this? Yeah. So specifically what I'm going to talk about is when you do it the same way as Paleo does and Arkham LCG does. And this is my favorite way to have these kind of things where you have strong narrative cohesiveness But there is a big pool of cards and there is a lot of randomization in when things come out. So it's not like the overall thrust of the scenario changes, but the feel of that play changes quite a lot. And that for me uh, brings up another positive when you do that, which is that I think the emergent narrative can be much, much stronger. And we talk a lot about emergent narrative. I was just uh, talking with some people on Discord about this the other day. You know, emergent narrative is where it's kind of created by the players and they have their own unique experience based on how things fall out and how they interpret them. And I've never been one that was like a fan or thought about emergent narrative where I think there's almost no theme. You know, like I'm not like playing Race for the Galaxy (laughs) and being like, look at my empire, it shall never fall. You know, like (laughs) I'm not somebody who takes a game that is not like trying to be super thematic and narrative and like I try to insert a narrative. But my favorite kind of emergent narrative is where, like you kind of mentioned, Peter, there's already a structure, there's a strong cohesiveness to the elements, but fun little story elements come within that. So like I could play the same Arkham scenario, but this time because of the character I'm playing and because of the luck of the draw, even though I know exactly what's going to happen and like kind of the key beats of the scenario, 10 cultists come out in a row and I'm like running away from cultists the entire mission and they're just like chasing me down and I'm shooting them with the gun that I wouldn't have used normally. Or in Paleo, where we were saved by the dodo being the single source of food we needed right before starvation hit us. Like, I, I think when you have the cohesiveness so that the narrative uh, is lent more easily and like the players can kind of see narrative elements more easily, I think that's my favorite kind of narrative game, even more so than something like, you know, a choose your own adventure where it's just really like a narrative being read at you. So, yeah, I I like the random elements within a kind of somewhat learnable scenario structure so that I can kind of tell my own little mini stories within the larger story that the uh, scenario is providing. 
See, that's interesting because I would not have put those two games together. So, for example, I would put Arkham more in line with Cthulhu Death May Die for me, where, yes, you may see a little bit of different stuff each time, but the general flow of the scenario is going to be the same. So, as an example for Cthulhu Death May Die, you're in this dance hall during one of the scenarios and like you're trying to figure out who the cultists are in this dance hall and you're interrogating people or whatever. And the people are going to be different every time, but the main flow of the story is going to be the same. And I kind of view that for Arkham too. So it's interesting to me that you do think that there is a divergence in narrative in those because of the random elements that come out. Cause for me, I would have said Arkham is more along lines of even unlock where it's like, okay, I get this story. I can follow it. The difference for me is Arkham branches. So I could go down different paths of the story. Last time I fought the monster. This time I'm going to go try to find a cure for the plague or whatever. So uh, that for me is a reason that Arkham had more replayability than some of these other ones. But it's interesting to me that even if you're saying you go down the same path, you do the same scenario, that you, because of the little bit of variance they add, that tells a different story in your mind. Well, you know, and now that you say that, I think I am giving Arkham a little bit too much credit because a lot of that actually comes from playing different character types and like trying out a wizard in this scenario versus a rogue versus a guardian versus a seeker. So no, I I kind of agree with you more. I guess Arkham is a bit more scripted, but with the branching, like you said, that kind of makes it uh, more interesting. Uh, But Paleo kind of is too, I guess. But I don't know. I don't mind it because the variety is enough. The randomness is enough that I will replay. I've played that first suggested paleo scenario like six or seven times. And I've never not had fun seeing what order things came out and how we kind of uh, grew in different ways and what tools we had available to us and all of that, you know. Well, I think you're right. There's enough random elements. You start with different and random people each time you start the order of the events come out. And, you know, when you go, even when you go through that deck, you're not going to see every event, as I said, because a lot of them you're discarding face down. A lot of times for each one card, you have to discard two face down. Now, it doesn't work out that way, right? Because sometimes you just can't do the card or whatever else, but you're discarding a lot of stuff face down. So there's a lot of stuff that you may not even see the first time through or your second time through. So I think there is a lot of discovery there even after the first game. But I think you're right in the fact that there needs to be enough variety, enough randomness to make it feel different from scenario to scenario. To get back to Arkham, though, do you actually read the story after the first time through, or do you mostly just read it, and now you're playing a fun game, you're enjoying the game the second time through, or do you go back through and relive that story? No, no, you're right, you're right. I I mean, it depends on how long it's been since I've played like that campaign, but yes, it'll be more mechanical for sure, which is, is still okay. Yeah, but what I want to point out with that is... I think that's the key, right? The gameplay mechanics have to be good enough and they have to support it. Don't get me wrong. There are narrative games out there, but I think those are going to be more one play games or one play every three years, right? Like we said, we can go back and play those unlock games, which are more narrative and and linear. Whereas, I mean, because I don't think anybody's playing unlock. I mean, you're certainly not for any mechanics specifically because it's just trying to solve different puzzles. I love solving the puzzles, but you can't replay those puzzles. Those puzzles are going to be the same every time you play them. So if something's more narrative or more linear, I think more time has to pass between you can play it. I think the thing that Paleo does well is it gives you enough modular encounters and, you know, with expansions, it's just going to add more that you can vary your gameplay up enough to make it feel different. Not only that, but the core loop is fun and the gameplay is fun. And I think that has to be first 
if you want something to be a good linear story and you want people to replay it, the gameplay mechanics have to be fun enough. Yeah, and I guess that might be our biggest advice for anybody who wants to do kind of a more like narrative element, have some randomization so that there is some replay, unless you're just doing something like Unlock where it's kind of a one-off. And yeah, like make sure your mechanics are fun. If, if you strip away the entire narrative, is the game still fun to play? And that's not fair to some things. Like Time Stories is basically the narrative. You can't say <laughs> you take sure. away the story from Time Stories. Like there's nothing there. You know, if, uh, you know uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. Like, oh, there's no mystery anymore. You're just reading passages. <laughs> no, that's not fun. Clearly that's not well, fair. But, but-, but both of those games fall in the unlock category of it's a one-time play, really. You can't really replay Time Stories because once you know the solution, you know the solution. Well, yeah, so uh, you know what's uh, a good game that I would then bring up is Escape the Dark Castle and Escape the Dark Sector. You played those with me. And right. that's one where it's almost too simplistic of a set of mechanics for kind of like the little like random narrative fun you're having. But they have a whole bunch of cards and it's totally random which ones you see each time and the theme is fun. And it's super fast to play and it's streamlined and it's fun. You know, like if that was a two hour long game, uh, those mechanics would not be enough to justify the like minor narrative experience you're having each time you play it, I think. I think the way they get away with it, though, is there are so many cards in the deck that you're not likely to see the same ones over and over. If I had played through the entire deck of cards and I was starting to see repeats in that game, I think I would lose interest. I don't know that people are playing that game after they know every card in the game. Well, my son is, but the, the big thing is the designer and the publisher was smart and they uh, did a three expansion Kickstarter for each of them, Dark Castle, and now the Dark Sector one, uh, I backed that. Uh, so that's like the second people had the base game, they were already uh, having on the horizon more content. <laughs> you know, So even if they got bored with the base game, they could anticipate what would be coming to them eventually. Sure. And I mean, I think what happens a lot of times with that, which is smart, right? You get people when they're excited about the game and then they lose interest and the game goes on the shelf for a while and they get re-excited when that expansion comes out. And that's when you release your next expansion. So I, I think there is a model for that as well, which is if you're giving people too little content and you know it, Fantasy Flight is famous for this. You know, they give they they put out a game. There's not enough replay. Arkham Third Edition is a good example. But shortly afterward, while people are still excited about that game, they give you a way to get back in, a reason not to sell that game. Hold on, we got an expansion coming in six months, right? It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm done with this content. But I mean, Marvel Champions is another example too. One of my favorite games. Every month, there's something new for me to look forward to. So even if I played out what I have, which at this point would be very hard to do if I hadn't been playing all along, (laughs) but even if I don't feel like playing with the stuff I have right now, I have something to look forward to every month. So I think that's another smart thing that publishers are doing, which is if they have a game that's popular, they're feeding that hunger. Like Unlock, same thing. We can go back and do basic Unlock because we've done so much since then that they kind of all blend together. Whereas if there was only three unlock games, I don't know that we could go back two years later and play those first three scenarios and not remember them, right? Because that's all we have for unlocking our brain. Yeah. I mean, you're honestly making me excited to play some old unlocks. And I know my son, I I am another person, Peter, like you, who has played unlocks multiple times, specifically because my sons like just going through it again. And once they've seen like me kind of help them find all the solutions, they like to feel like they're the ones getting them. They're like, look, daddy, I know how to solve this. <laughs> so, nice. So I, I played through many unlocks like three or four or five times just to kind of like humor my children. But all right. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. 
review on Paleo, big recommendation for us and uh, some discussion. We'll see you in a couple more weeks with our next topic. But until then, have some good gaming. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Shop. Hey, everybody. <laughs> welcome to the One Stop. Damn it. <laughs> nice. All right, just start again. Start again. <laughs> hey, Mike. Yeah. So I've started eating differently lately. Yeah, lots of nuts and berries? No, all processed food. (laughs) It's the anti-paleo diet.